WDBM East Lansing. The Impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening and welcome. I'm your host, Stephen Rich, and this is Exposure. Tonight, we take a rare turn of our attention back to ourselves here at the station. This Friday, all across the nation, colleges and high schools will celebrate their student-run radio stations. And here at The Impact, we wanted to give you an inside look at our history and look at the future of college radio. We kick off the show with a conversation I had with an MSU alum and current executive director of the MSU Alumni Association, Scott Westerman. Uh, my name is Scott Westerman. I came to Michigan State University in 1973, and I came specifically because of student radio. Um, I always wanted to be a guy who owned radio stations. I started working in radio when I was age 14 in Ann Arbor while I was growing up, riding my bicycle there before I even had a driver's license before school and after. And so MSU was the place to go. Back then, we had five student radio stations, wow. uh, four in the dorms, and then uh, WMSN, which was in the basement of student services. Mm. And uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, housed in Wonders Hall, and we had a radio station in the basement there, WEAK. Mm -hmm. They were all, back in the day, uh, AM radio stations, and our transmitters were connected to the wiring system so that uh, students basically inside the dorms could pick us up. It was a horrible sound. There was a ton of hum. <laughs> it was just really, really bad. But we had, just like you guys do, an amazingly supportive a uh, group of students that uh, were involved. We had, you know, probably 150, 200 people across all the stations that were working on campus radio. And um, it was a great launching pad for my career. One of the things mm -hmm. I discovered was that I did not want to do radio for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was, a, after graduation, uh, I kind of uh, floated into the cable TV industry. That was the majority of my career with a five-year kind of entrepreneurial hiatus in the middle. And um, um, along the way, every good thing that seemed to happen to me in my career had a Spartan connection. Uh, so when uh, the opportunity uh, came to uh, become the head servant at the MSU Alumni Association, uh, I jumped at it, and it's turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> well, great to hear. And I actually never knew that there uh, that MSU Radio started as all the different dorm radios. I heard about this earlier this year, and I was just blown away that it was kind of like within its own building each. So there's only five total stations, so there's five buildings essentially that had a station? Well, the way that it worked was uh, back in 1957, right after Brody was built, uh, a bunch of kids came up with the idea of student radio on mm. um, what they call carrier current broadcasting uh, with an AM transmitter. And they, they built, it was a homebrew transmitter they called Cheyenne Brody. <laughs> and for 10 years, uh, that they've transmitted out of the basement of Brody Hall. Uh, they originally homebrew equipment along the way. They got enough funding that they were able to buy a Gates Yard, which was the state of the art, kind of like your digital, uh, equivalent of your digital oh. year this year. And... Um, as the uh, interest in radio grew, the signal kind of spread further across mm. the campus. And um, by the time I got here, uh, there were, uh, you know, five stations. Uh, there was, was a signal in every dorm. So mm. if you lived in the Brody Complex, you got WBRS. If you lived in uh, uh, Wonders and Wilson, you got WEAK. If you were in Shaw, you got WKME. If you're in McDonald and Holmes, you got WMCD. And everything else got WMSN. Mm. And there was a lot of time during the, the day when we would actually – pot up the network 
and um, take their programs. They had a, a, something called Ellipsis, which was the equivalent of exposure back in the day. Oh. And that was something that, um, you know, we all, all the stations carried during, during uh, prime time, if mm-hmm. you will. So it doesn't sound like there was much competition. It was kind of everyone working together within their own parts of campus as kind of like a network. Right. Of- That's what it was. It was the Michigan State Network. That's what WMSN stood for. Mm. Um, very collaborative. And all of us who worked in the dorm stations eventually uh, did at least one shift at WMSN. That was the place that had the best gear, the largest record library, and the most resources. Mm-hmm. Well, can you talk about a little bit about um, what it was like to be a DJ during this time? Because for us now, it runs off of a system, and we just kind of like <laughs> yeah. follow along, just you know, try to stay interesting on the air. But what was it like to be a DJ back then? Well, radio itself was so different back mm-hmm. in back in that day because um, there was a limitation on how many stations one person could own. You could only own seven radio and seven TV stations across the country. Not like today, where there are basically one or two companies that control everything, and in many cases control all the broadcasting in a market. So it's highly competitive. And there wasn't really such a thing as automation like we have today with your Scott Systems operations. So we had to have live people on the air the entire time. Wow. And there was no uh, computer um, stuff. We, so we played 45s and LPs. We had uh, tape cartridge machines that we recorded our commercials on. And um, that's what we did. And the big challenges we had was learning how to properly cue records and hit the start button on the turntable at just the right time so that when you stop talking, the record started. Um, and it, was, it, was, it really was an art. It was mm-hmm. an art back then because there were so many different pieces that you had to put together in a way that the listener wouldn't be able to tell that there was all this stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, there's sometimes that I'll be DJing and I'll feel like overwhelmed just kind of like fi- finding something to talk about during a drop and like putting in a song, answering a call. Like that is overwhelming to me. I can't imagine having to well, do all that. You know, one of the things that hasn't really changed, Steve, is that we're, we're still all about communication, communication mm-hmm. and connection. Um, back then, the guys that were the most popular DJs are the ones that were in circulation, that, we, mm-hmm. that people knew about, that were out there with their personal brand. Um, that were doing personal appearances. We used to do uh, record hops in the grills back then, back uh, back before Sparties, we all had grills in the basement of our uh, various uh, uh, residence halls. And um, the guys that were very successful were the ones that really could tap into the psyche of the students, the listeners, find out what it was that was of interest to them and deliver a program that touched that places mm-hmm. in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so besides being a DJ, what sort of did you do anything else while you were at the student radio stations? Were you guys set up a lot like us, where we have directors kind of leading different departments? Um, what was the setup like when you were? It there? was very similar to what you have now. Um, every station had its general manager, student general manager. They were paid, mm-hmm. and we had uh, record uh, the, the music director, production director, traffic and continuity, which wrote basically the the, the cards that we read, just like oh. the cards <laughs> that you have today. Uh, in some cases, promotion directors. And there was a radio board like you have now, exactly the same kind of makeup from the various constituencies that we served. Um, And then so with the dorm stations, one of the things I was kind of interested in, you might have touched on this a little bit, but was there any like specialization of sound between the different dorms? Like, could you tell if you're listening to WEAK compared to one of the other ones? Right. Oh, yeah. each, Each dorm had the personality of its general manager. Hmm. So uh, at WEAK, we were very much what we called progressive rock, which now, which now you would think of as classic rock. Uh, we were like we loved to break new music. Um, we interviewed bands when they came through and that kind of stuff. WMCD was the one that Steve Schramm wa- ran, and he's the guy that now runs Michigan Radio in Ann Arbor. 
Back then, he and I were screaming top 40 disc jockeys. We were both working at uh, 94.9 FM, playing the hits, and he wanted to play top 40 at WMCD. <laughs> so he went out and had a jingle package recorded. He taught his guys how to be top 40 jocks, and that station sounded just as good as anything that was on the air in the market. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, to me, that's so funny because, I mean, we do have specialty shows um, you know, where we'll feature different music, but Impact definitely has this a uh, very distinct indie music sound to it. So the fact that there was just very different stations to each dorm. And I can imagine a student who like comes to Michigan State is really into progressive rock and then gets the top 40 station. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. Well, and that was the interesting thing, though, because, I mean, even even in the top 40 formats, I mean, there were times of the day when you might hear WBRS or you might hear WKME, mm. depending upon um, how things were scheduled across the network. I mean, like today, they had the same problem that you guys have, and that is getting people to show up for shifts. <laughs> so as they worked out their week, it might, the, the, best, the best thing that could happen for you if you were a DJ in Brody or Wonders or Shaw was to have all campus. Mm. If they put you up on all campus and you were talking to everybody across campus. That was awesome. And it was really a neat way to build fan base. There, mm-hmm. there were guys uh, that, that lived in Holmes and Hubbard Hall that loved WBRS because of the kind of stuff that they did. Um, and um, at, at, at the end of the day, if you listened to, with any regularity uh, to student radio back then in those days, you got a good kind of broad taste of all the different formats. Mm-hmm. Well, um, then shifting gears a little bit and uh, moving from talking about our past to talking about the future of college radio and impact, um, what do you see, first of all, is the future of um, college radio? You know, college uh, or radio as a format is kind of not dying, but it's, you know, it's, be- it's becoming something more specialized and college radio on top of that is a very specialized format. So what do you see as the future for it? Where do you think college radio in general is going to be heading? Well, one thing that has never changed about the medium is it's all about content, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we had to entertain. We had to be relevant. We had to be interesting. And we had to be attractive. We had to be able to attract people to our content. And that, in essence, is the same challenge that you have today. Uh, you have the benefit of having a lot more ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. And the evolution of the student listener, in fact, the listener in general, is in many cases, away from the FM broadcast signal. Uh, We listen to most of our stuff. Driving over here, I was listening to radio on my iPhone through my Kenwood radio stereo system. (laughs) It's kind of the way we do things now. Um, That's what's different. But what is still the same is that, you know, you have the opportunity to connect with your listeners in a very, very personal way. And that's one thing I think the impact can do better than anybody else in the market is you're here. You live among your listeners mm-hmm. and your DJs and your directors can circulate among them, find out what it is that's really important in their lives. And in many cases, that goes beyond the music. And the music, nowadays, we can get anywhere. Back then, albums, 45s, were expensive. <laughs> and we had to have record players to play them. Now you can carry your entire life's library inside of a device it's smaller than a baseball card, right? <laughs> so that's what's changed. The kids really can get their music any way they want it. Your challenge is how do you get them to listen to what you're saying? How can you be relevant in their lives so they're going to want to build that relationship with you? Mm-hmm. So it's really specializing and making impact about the students and really bringing something that they're not going to get anywhere else. That's what you see as the future of impact? Yeah, and that's that's kind of the way that uh, radio has always been because the, the guys that were always best at this at, at radio – had that connection with their listeners. They were always out in circulation. They were always talking, doing their own little focus groups, even if it was just at the bar, <laughs> figuring out what are the bands you're interested in? What's what's going on in your life? What's really important to you right now? Mm-hmm. Homecoming week, 
we did a lot of stuff about homecoming. Um, when uh, during move-in, we were always uh, the at, at the in the basement of the International Center at the MSU Bookstore. We were doing a remote broadcast from there every. every I remember, remember that so well. And we took our turntables down there. We actually spun oh, wow. the records from that location. <laughs> so being you know being out, being visible. Uh, and also making sure that you're the ones that are talking about the stuff that's important to the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, listeners, none <laughs> of you guys are, are kids when you get here. You're, you're actually students. full-grown adults, in my view. <laughs> and um, that's, that's really the key. If you can figure out what that is and craft your programming strategy around that, you'll continue to be successful. Mm-hmm. And this is probably going to be the toughest question I'm going to ask, but during your time at College Radio, what do you think is the most memorable song or the favorite song that you played? Oh my gosh! Well, it's a tough one. <laughs> during, during campus radio, um, that was I was uh, top forty guy back then. So my favorite song was "Midnight Confessions" by the Grassroots. Mm. Um, I loved Chicago. We played a lot of Chicago because they were just just getting getting going. So probably um, it would be uh, probably "Make Me Smile" by Chicago. Mm. Favorite album of all time still Abbey Road. Nothing like it. You can listen to it from beginning to end. It's one one big symphony. And the record we played most often was a, a horrifically obscene song by Nilsson called You're Breaking My Heart. <laughs> because the one thing that was different then than now was that we were not FCC licensed stations oh. and anything went. So um, uh, encouraging our student G- DJs to keep it clean was always a big challenge because the students knew it. So they would always call and say, hey, will you play You're Breaking, Your, Breaking My Heart by Nilsson? We knew exactly why they wanted to hear that because it had one of the the most important of the seven words you can't see on radio and television it's like it was like watching the big lebowski over and over again (laughs) well thank you so much for talking to us we've been talking with scott westman who is the executive director of the msu alumni association and he helps helps us out a lot here at the impact so thank you for all that you do for us. my pleasure Again, I'm Stephen Rich, and this is Impact 89FM. You are listening to Exposure. If you've spent any time driving across the state, chances are at some point you've tuned into a Michigan radio station. With stations in Grand Rapids, Flint, and Ann Arbor, the NPR affiliate covers almost all of Lower Michigan. And it just so happens that the director of the station is also an MSU campus radio alum. He called the station to talk about his history with college radio. So my uh, my uh, current responsibility is I'm the director and general manager of Michigan Radio. We're the NPR news station here at the University of Michigan, and I know you're saying a Spartan is at the University of Michigan, but I'm uh, <laughs> very proud to serve the institution here and certainly love my alma mater, and mm-hmm. I'm not conflicted about it. But Michigan Radio uh, serves the entire uh, state of Michigan with the most listened to public radio service in the state. And we are one of the most listened to public radio stations uh, in the United States in terms of overall audience uh, market share. We've been on the air for uh, 66 years serving the state of Michigan and have been a news and information-based formatted station since 1996. Mm. But this is not where I've spent all my career, but I have been here for the uh, last, oh, I don't know, eight and a half years. Most of my career has been spent on the commercial broadcast side and primarily in radio during all of that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I noticed you've worked in um, everything from uh, you worked at Clear Channel, Infinity Broadcasting, a bunch of different stations in Detroit, um, as well as uh, Milwaukee, 
uh, Fort Wayne. So what, what attracted you back to public radio? What brought you to public radio? What do you like about the format? Well, it was interesting. Public radio wasn't originally on my radar eight and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I had um, I had uh, left CBS Radio, had started my own uh, consulting business, and I was doing uh, media management consulting, working for a number of different, uh, working with a number of different entities, and some of them that were now broadcast entities as well. But uh, I, I received a call from a friend of mine who had worked for, for me at Clear Channel, and she had heard uh, through her sister who was a high-level executive at the University of Michigan in the HR area, that there was a need for some uh, help at Michigan Radio, at uh, WUOM. And uh, she said, uh, would, you, um, would you be interested in talking with them? So I said, well, I, I think so. Let's, let's see what happens. I, I originally just uh, took it on as an assignment for my consultancy. And then a few, uh, just a couple months into the assignment, uh, our president, uh, Mary Sue Coleman, who was just recently retired, but Mary Sue Coleman was a longtime president of the University of Michigan. She asked if I would consider staying uh, and becoming a permanent part of uh, Michigan Radio as the general manager and director. And by that time, I had become quite uh, taken by the uh, by the influence of public radio, the significance that it means to our listeners and the good work that we try to do here with our journalism in terms of providing uh, news and information that is meaningful and thoughtful and and well-documented. So it was quite a breath of fresh air to come into public radio and to see all the vitality that is currently here and the areas where we could expand upon that and build an even stronger service. And that's what we have tried to do here in the last eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. I was curious, um, for you, you know, coming from um, more of the commercial stuff, was there a lot of... Uh, stuff that you've used in the past or a lot of, um, you know, strategies that you've used that work at Michigan Radio, or was it a big transition coming there? Well, I think the biggest transition uh, is first understanding how public radio is organized as a uh, as an entity from the business side of things. Uh, in commercial broadcasting, our primary interest was uh, selling advertising, you know, the commercial spots that would run on the air, and that was our primary form of income. Mm-hmm. And here in public radio, there's a, a multiple dimensions of revenue streams that are responsible for building the resources and the success of public radio. At our station in particular, 62% of our revenue comes from membership, from individual donors who uh, either make sustaining gifts or gifts during our pledge drives or annual gifts, Mm. and that represents 62% of the money we see every year. After that, 21% of our revenue comes from corporate support, which we call underwriting announcements. Those are probably the closest parallel to what we would do in the commercial world as, uh, as announcements. Then after that, we have other types of revenue. We have grants uh, from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Separately, we also have grants that we solicit from foundations. And then we have other sorts of uh, incremental income from uh, various other sorts of uh, opportunities that we uh, enterprise with. So there's so many different ways that public radio is supported and the financial basis of how public radio was built was very interesting and very dynamic, and it gives us, uh, I think, a great opportunity to grow it in a number of ways. So that was probably the single biggest adjustment for me is looking at all the ways 
that there are revenue supports for public radio, which are different from commercial. The other thing that is very attractive to me personally, and this is a, a, a very high compliment to the University of Michigan, is that we are able to run our operation locally. There is a, a respect for the firewall in terms of our journalism and, and and the way that we can independently report and independently enterprise stories mm. that are going to be on the air at Michigan Radio. There isn't there isn't an oversight that causes a problem with the uh, quality of how we uh, do our journalism. So I think that too was another very strong positive aspect of not only how to manage the station, but how we are able to attract very um, strong journalists who uh, respect that type of separation of, uh, of influence and are able to do their best work in a way also that is appreciated. In public radio, we have the opportunity to run stories that are not just you know 10 seconds of a soundbite, but are three and five and 10 and 12 minutes long, depending on the value of the story. So there's a number of different uh, environments inside of the public media and public radio world that make it very attractive. And I can understand why journalists are drawn to it, because there is a pure appreciation for how storytelling is crafted and how the news that we report is properly vetted and properly researched to be accurate and in depth. Mm. And so now that we, uh, now that I have more of a, you know an understanding of what you're doing now and just the general direction of Michigan Radio, I was, wondering, I was hoping you could take kind of a step back at, to the beginning of your career in um, radio. We talked with Scott Westerman earlier in the show, who um, actually told me he came to Michigan State for the radio. Um, so did you start uh, working in radio before you came to Michigan State, or is was Michigan State really your first? taste of well, the radio. Well, you know, I, uh, I toured Michigan State and the campus radio operation in my junior year of high school, mm. and I had heard about it. I actually was accepted to both Michigan and Michigan State, and of course, the University of Michigan had a student radio station, uh, still does, WCBN, but I had heard that the Michigan State operation was far more diverse. And at the time, and I know some of your listeners will be familiar with the fact that the the campus radio operation used to be uh, operated on what we call carrier current. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about... radio signal was over the electric lines. You had to plug a radio in your dorm room into it in order to receive the station. Yeah, we talked with Scott a little bit about that earlier, how there was... um... I think four different ones, and then uh, WMSN was the yeah, WMSN, kind of... the Michigan State Network. That's mm-hmm. what those call letters stood for, and uh, that was the central station. So each station in the neighborhoods, like Brody and Wonders and Shaw and Fee and McDonald, uh, had their own local staffs. And if there was a time where they didn't have staffing, they could uh, turn on the main central network station to fill the time until they were going back local again. Mm. So it was it was a great it was a great system, and it was a it was a just a very dynamic time because there were probably uh, at each neighborhood station there were probably anywhere from thirty to fifty students that were on the local neighborhood station, and then the WMSN had fifty or sixty students as well. So there were a lot of students involved in campus radio back in those early formative days. And it was uh, we all had a high degree of pride and participation to make it sound as meaningful to students as we could and as professional as we could. Mm. And I understand that, were you managing one of the stations, WBRS, correct? 
Well, I uh, my first day on campus at Brody Hall, I, I was in Bryant Hall. I dropped my bags and immediately went over to WBRS and applied to be on the staff there. And uh, within the afternoon, they had me on the air. And in my as a freshman, I became what they called the chief announcer, which meant I, uh, and I think you guys still use that title over at Impact, or at least they used to. It was the person who trained all the incoming students on how to operate the equipment and how to follow the station's policies and procedures and how to be a disc jockey. Mm-hmm. And so I did that initially, and then the second year I was the program director at WBRS in Brody. And then by my uh, junior year, our network manager, Mark Conlin, said, uh, we have an opportunity. We need to have some new leadership over at the uh, McDonald Hall radio station, WMCD. And they asked me to take over that station, which I did. That's where I became the uh, the general manager at that station. And in my senior year, I became the general manager of WMSN, the network station. So you really you almost hit every single radio station on campus. Yeah, I uh, I played the circuit and <laughs> uh, really loved it. We had such a and this is not just being boastful and wonderlust, but we had such a bumper crop of strong, talented contributors to campus radio in that mid-70s era. And uh, and I've told this story to uh, the impactors when I was uh, on campus in the spring for a talk. The the friends that I, that I made at Michigan State in my campus radio days, the, there's a, a small core group of about eight of us that have stayed in contact all of our lives and are are now you know still in contact to this very day. We we do our own personal big chill reunion. So it, it, the radio at MSU kind of sparked your friends for life. Then that's exactly right, <laughs> and they are the people. And Scott Westerman, being numero uno, he was my you know college roommate for a period of time, mm-hmm. and we have stayed. Uh, Fast friends, all of our adult lives. <laughs> That's great to hear. What do you What do you think um, would be the the thing that students of your day valued most about your college radio? What do you think you guys added, um, or what was the most important thing that you added to student life? Well, I think we were very, um, as we I think all the uh, generations since try to do, we were very interactive uh, with our uh, listeners, with our stu- with the students that we served. We did a lot of remote broadcasts. Sometimes they were at the MSU bookstores. Uh, other times we would do them at uh, the Coral Gables when they would bring in live performance acts. They also brought in some comedy acts from time to time, and we would broadcast those live. We also did uh, MSU sports. We had MSU basketball on at the time and mm-hmm. hockey as well. So those were other ways that we committed to the student body. So with the College Radio Day, one of the things we're looking at, you know, not only looking at our history and, you know, how much that impact has, um, you know, contributed to campus or how much College Radio has meant to MSU, but also looking forward to kind of the future of radio. And I feel like you you would definitely be the, the person to ask because you do work in radio. Um, you know, radio isn't exactly the most um, technologically advanced um, format um, for a lot of people. So how do you think that radio is going to stay relevant? And especially at college, how do you think they stay relevant to students? Well, I think that's a very key question right now, especially being relevant to students. I think that, you know, certainly students are early adopters of new technology and students of, of this generation have been accustomed to having, uh, you know, content on demand, whether it be music, whether it be news or anything else. So a lot of students haven't uh, necessarily, and certainly the most recent years, 
uh, been subject to listening to live as it happens linear broadcasting. They have been more of a menu-driven, on-demand type of uh, society, if you will. I do think, however, and you've heard the, uh, the, the phrase is kind of uh, hackneyed and tired, but it's still relevant and true, and that uh, content is king. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, for example, if all impact was was a music service, and playing uh, songs from artists, whether they be current or older artists, if all they did was that and didn't put a lot of effort in between what's happening uh, in the music, and if they didn't entertain or inform well enough when they do a live break, then yes, there would be no reason why students would have an attachment to impact. But what I think Impact has demonstrated over the 25 years of its history, and we certainly tried to do that as well during our era of campus radio, is that you have to give your audience something beyond uh, what they could hear on their own. If they purchased an album, if they had a CD, if they downloaded a song, if that's all they're interested in, then no, you're probably not going to be very valuable to them. But if you can give uh, artist insights, if you have artist interviews, if you are going to host an artist with a uh, live premiere of his new album or his new cut at the McDonald Kiva, or if you have a live meet and greet after a show and you are the key way that those things happen and you are the motivator as to how those artists are screened, how they are promoted to the public, and that's just on the vein of music alone, then you are bringing value, and then you are bringing relevance and importance as to why someone would want to listen to you. Uh, We do the same thing with news and information here at Michigan Radio, and your show, Exposure, does that on impact. You are trying to create interesting content that someone will, will listen to purely out of the joy of discovery. So so um, just bringing new topics and new perspectives that the normal listener wouldn't have? Yes, and that requires work on the content, uh, pro- content provider. That requires work on the staff of Impact. It requires work on my staff here at Michigan Radio. We take nothing for granted. Mm. We don't come into this uh, shop every day and assume that people will listen to us just out of habit. We have to earn it every day. We have to make it interesting and compelling every day. Mm. We have to do our best to make it unique every day. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. And before we do go, is there is there one memorable song or one memorable album that you remember from your time um, here at MSU on the radio? Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> it's a I, tough I, I know everybody who's been on the air says, well, I played thousands of songs. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, I probably was more of a, uh, you know, a top 40 disc jockey uh, in my experience in campus radio. And and uh, and uh, not so much an album guy and and I think I will uh, I will choose a song uh, that is meaningful uh, to me and my wife uh, it was by the Vogues it was from 1966 it's called You're the One awesome well thank you so much for calling in and talking with us alright Stephen that was great every time we meet everything is sweet you're listening to WDBM Impact 89 FM, and this is Exposure. 
The college radio business doesn't start and end on campus. In fact, something you might not be aware of is there's actually many companies whose sole focus is bringing new music to college radios with the hopes of getting airplay. Doug Blake, a promoter and founder of the Pirate Media Company, called in to give us an inside look at his business. All right, so, I mean, just to kind of get a little bit of background on yourself um, and Pirate, um, I read a few things about you, and I saw that you originally worked at WVGS, uh, Georgia Southern's yeah. radio station. Was that the first time that you really got interested in college radio and maybe becoming a promoter someday? Right, yeah, I was uh, the music director there for for three years, actually, and um, I remember distinctly, like, I was an education major, and um, just one day I was talking to one of my promoters, and I was like, so do you, like, get paid to do this? every week and they were like yeah so you just get paid to call me and talk to me <laughs> and they were like about records and i was like uh and they were like yeah yeah that, that's what we do and i was like i want to do that how do i make that happen um and so i tried to talk to a bunch of them about like how how to take that career path um surprisingly actually not many of them wanted to help me out um because there aren't that many jobs that do this mm -hmm. uh so i think they just wanted to keep it to themselves um <laughs> Um, and, uh, but, but that's what I, when I decided that I would want to do. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, good. So you, uh, after you graduated, I understand that you wound up at planetary, but you had to send them a resume every day for weeks. So they were basically like, stop bothering <laughs> us and you'll, we'll give you a job. That's what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, uh, <laughs> when I moved to Boston, it was on a whim. Like I was, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wanted to be a promoter, but I didn't want to live in New York and, a friend of mine actually randomly called me and was like, hey, do you want to move to Boston? I was living in Connecticut at the time, and I was like, you know what? Yes, I would love to move to Boston. So I moved to Boston knowing that Planetary was there. I, uh, I started sending them a resume every week. Uh, at first, it was just like uh, a normal resume the first week. Didn't hear anything back, and uh, I, I like to be tenacious. So I ended up sending them like a, a pre-recorded show that I did of like me at VGS. Then I sent them articles that I did while at the school paper, then I sent them um, a, like a huge package I put together of like a magazine article somebody had written about me and some other things that I did at VGS and at um, Georgia Southern. And eventually the owner of Planetary called me. I was like, uh, we would love to offer you a job as receptionist. And I was like, okay, that's great. The one condition is you cannot send us any more resumes. <laughs> I was like, sure, that's fine. Uh, and then before I accepted the job, I was like, well, I'd love to be the receptionist if I can intern in the radio department as well. Mm. And he was like, I don't care. Just don't send me any more resumes. <laughs> um, so I took that job in February. Uh, and in May, I got moved up into the radio department. Mm -hmm. um, and then by, I would say, another three to four months later, I was head of the department. So wow. it, kind of, it kind of all worked out. Gotcha. And then from there, you eventually helped found, found Pirate. Do you mind talking about how that process happened? What led you to want to, you know, start your own company? Um, yeah, you know, uh, Steve also worked. Steve um, from, from who is at Pirate, co-founder of Pirate, also worked at Planetary. And we were, you know, pretty much done with promoting. We had, like, been there for three or four years. We had done the whole promotion thing. We were tired of what we were doing. Um, and we were looking forward to kind of taking time off. Like he, he put in, in his two weeks at one point, I remember, and I was going to go start taking wine classes and, 
become a sommelier and just get out of radio. And so we were both looking to just kind of get out. And then when we did leave, um, we started talking to each other and like talking about why we left and like, you know, uh, what we wanted to do. And it kind of turned out that, you know, we, we were just tired of the way things were happening there, but Mm -hmm. we never really talked to each other about it. We were a little bit idealist, like thinking that we could just go out there and, and just do it and uh, just have really good records and, and be able to work those really good records and have, and make a difference at college radio kind of thing. Um, and I thought, and I think for a while we did like, you definitely like you realize a lot of things are, are different when you're owning your own company. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's definitely a different world. It's a little, it's definitely harder than we ever thought it would be, but <laughs> we've made it 10 years. So at least we're doing something right. Yeah, clearly. That was actually one of my later questions. Um, do you, do, do you guys now promote music that you, you not necessarily don't think has a chance, but maybe something that you're not a fan of? Is, is that a challenge for you guys? Well, you know, it, uh, it was a challenge at first. Like for me, like I always wanted to like everything, mm-hmm. uh, in order to work it. Um, and, there's act- I'm not going to name any names of bands, obviously, but <laughs> there's some bands that we work that I do not like at all, but they actually do very well on the chart. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So my taste like, might not change, but college radio's taste is always changing. Mm. And so for people who aren't really familiar with uh, the job of a promoter, can you describe how you interact with each station? Because like, I understand that you talk a lot with the music directors. Can you just describe that whole process? Yeah, I um. For me, it's different for everybody, and that's—I mean, every promoter is different. There, I try to be—I uh, try to be friendly. I try to be be nice. I don't like to be pushy. I don't want to um, threaten anybody because uh, um, <laughs> there's a there are there are people that not, not threaten. I mean, threaten to like take away servicing or you know threaten oh, yeah. to you know like call the faculty advisor or something like that. I try not to get like have anything get to that point. I try to be friendly. Like I try to have a conversation with people and like see what's going on with them, see what they're into. And, you know, like most of my conversations begin like, how was your weekend? Mm. Tell me what you did. And then like, hopefully they'll want to know about my weekend. I'll tell them how, what I did and we'll talk about what's going on. And like, you know, I actually really like talking to music directors about everything else that they like as well. Try to get an idea of what, music aside from mine um that they're into so i can better send them records from you know our database that kind of thing yeah so um beyond just the music it's more building a relationship with all the music directors exactly exactly like i want i mean i want them to to you know be able to interact with me and be able to be truthful because i think a lot of times when you start out being a music director you're afraid to tell the truth about what you think about something. Mm. One of my first lines I tell every music director is I am not in any of these bands. So (laughs) you can be brutally honest with me. It's not going to offend me. Like my job is to get feedback for the most part. Like I would love to get airplay and I would love to get a chart number for this band. But if you don't like it, tell me so I can report back to the band that you don't like it, that you thought the vocals were whiny, that you thought, that uh, like the bass player didn't know what he was doing, or that the drum sucked. Like, just tell me what you think about it, and I'll report back. How like, much? Uh, it's not going to have your name on it, so who cares? Like, you know, mm-hmm. it just be honest. How much feedback do you bring back to bands regularly? Is that another part of your job? Is kind of bringing the reaction back to the band? Yeah, as much as possible. I uh, I was. I mean, I wish I could get more, but like every I know every station's getting like 
every station's getting so many records. Like I'm sending our our goal is to send no more than five a week because every every station has five official ads that can add to CMJ. So our our goal is to have no more than five because it, our philosophy is if you if you liked all of our records, we want you to be able to add all five. And if you have six, you can't add all six. Mm. So we make the cutoff five. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're sending five, that means that every other promotion company is probably sending around, like, let's say five a week as well. So every station's getting like hundreds of records per week. Yeah. So I know it's impossible for me to get feedback for every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to narrow it down and try to get at least like one bit of feedback for every one of my artists, like every week, but it's hard. It's like, uh, it's hard to, to get people to really give you feedback on things and, you know, have them remember what they listened to like last week, especially if they didn't like it. They like easy, like good feedback is really easy to get because people are like are ready to gush about what they liked about something, but bad feedback is, is harder to get. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we are kind of running out of time. So before we wrap things up, um, I think you touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to ask, um, why promote college radio at all? Why promote to college radio at all? What really makes it special or different to you? And what do you hope the future of college radio holds? Well, I feel like uh, college radio is is going to be important and is important for for every upcoming artist. You know, it's one story. I, I mean, one band that we've worked every record of is uh, Tegan and Sarah. The first time I worked Tegan and Sarah, like maybe 12 stations cared, you know? Mm-hmm. So we sent out the record, 12 stations cared. We got them to do interviews. We got like them to go visit the band, visit the, the radio stations got them to do things with the radio stations and, and they fell in love with them. And then next time the record came out, we have 30 stations and the next time you have 50 and then a hundred and then it just grows every time. And that's, what's great about college radio is if you put the effort in at these stations, they're going to come back to the record the next time and support them. And then eventually the, the bands will graduate, you know, like Keegan and Sarah, like don't need college radio now, but they still send it as a thank you to these stations out there um for helping them to get to where they are same with like black keys like they every record that they've worked has done better than the last until like those last couple where they just get number ones and um it's great to have seen us build the base and then them kind of like graduate from that as i was saying yeah i think we'll continue to do that the 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 biggest problem i see with with college radio right now is that it's um like the Schools don't see it as important as they as they used to, you know. Um, so they're not funding it as much, and I think that will continue to be the case. I think, like many other stations, will probably lose their light, their you know broadcast rights, and they'll like go to more of a internet type basis, and that's going to suck for a while. But I think it will it will definitely get better. I I think you know uh, hopefully these internet stations will, will find ways to interact with their community in, in the same way that they used to, like as a regular signal. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's my hope. I hope it just doesn't die away. I don't think it will. I think there's still uh, big importance for a lot of bands, like to get their start. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank you so much for talking with us. And before um, I let you go, I did hear besides a passion for music that you are quite a wino. So if you could give us a, <laughs> If if you have a good pairing of a band or an album and a bottle of wine, what would it be? <laughs> it's a, a tough question, but <laughs> it is it is a tough question. I mean, personally, I would um, pair Tegan and Sarah with a a nice um, bottle of 
uh, Pinot, Pinot, um, Pinot Noir. Like they would go very well with a nice Pinot Noir because they're elegant and yet rich at times. You're listening to WDBM Impact 89FM, and this is Exposure. I'm your host, Stephen Rich. College Radio Day isn't all about us at the Impact, although we might like to think it is, and to celebrate not only ourselves, but the countless other stations that work tirelessly to provide new and unique content every single day, we wanted to highlight another station. Ross Cable, music director at the University of Minnesota's Radio K, was kind enough to share with us some of his experiences in college radio. Ross, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So um, just to start things off, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, what year you are, what major, that sort of thing? Um, All right. I am currently in my third year of school here where I'm majoring in linguistics with a minor in product design. I have been in this position since January, and I started helping at the station from like the moment I showed up as a freshman. I took a tour and I was absolutely hooked. What sort of other work have you done at the station besides being the MD? Uh, I was videographer for a semester, so we do um, every weekend or every Friday for our local show off the record, we have one uh, local group come in studio promoting a show, a new record. Uh, So that's consistent. That gives us at least 52 local groups coming in here. But beyond Mm -hmm. that, I guess I've DJed also since the moment I got here. I've done, I hosted the uh, Bluegrass show for a year and a half, Mm -hmm. and then I started, restarted our hip-hop show um, the beginning of this summer, which is a transition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And beyond that, I'm pretty much just always, I remember uh, our training shifts here are, they they hide us like really late at night. My training shift was two to four in the morning uh, on Monday mornings before... (laughs) The week of class started. <laughs> Terrible choice on my part. But I remember I'd always be on Facebook. I'd be like, hey, if anybody's awake at 2 in the morning, come listen to me. And now, like, there was one week where I was literally on the airwaves. My voice was on the airwaves for, like, 20 hours in one week. It was like a pledge wow. drive thing. People were dropping. I was just consistently picking up shifts, and I didn't even ask anyone to listen to me anymore. I'm like, I'm just part of this now. <laughs> they should just expect to hear you now when they turn exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> Well, um, now that you are the music director, you mentioned you got that job at the beginning there. What would you say are your major responsibilities as the music director at at Radio K? Uh, my major responsibilities, well, with all those in-studios, I'm the one who's doing the booking, talking to all these promotion companies. And uh, the promotion companies are also the people servicing uh, records. There's there's this whole CMJ thing that is responsible for uh, College Radio Day mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess, the uh, greater community and at it- large. And... For our listeners who aren't familiar with CMJ, can you just explain what CMJ does? Um, they are a shady government organization. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, They're the they, Illuminati of college music. 
I was, I guess. I'm not entirely sure what all they do. CMJ uh, stands for College Music Journal, and they are in charge of communicating with radio stations around the country, around the globe, and aggregating what they're playing, what they're listening to, what they think is cool, uh, and through that communication, coming up with a uh, with a uh, CMJ charts, monthly, weekly reports on. Uh, you know who's who's making it big, mm-hmm. uh, making an impact, and therefore informing kind of the rest of the music world what what's going on, who's cool. Mm-hmm. And I, being music director, obviously you're listening to a lot of music every single week from um, all these different promoters and hearing just a lot of unique stuff. So has do you think the job has changed your personal taste in music at all? I absolutely uh, I can verify that it has. I never used to really be electronic music fan at all really i just hadn't found my niche i think people were telling me to listen to craft work too much and like this is just very robotic which mm-hmm. is their gimmick but i eventually it was only when i started uh working as music director that i finally got turned on to like flying lotus-esque stuff and i'm like yeah. oh electronic music can still feel really really organic this feels great so there's really been a shift in that um i think i'm more receptive to metal not that we're never a metal-heavy station, but mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just find a CD and I'll be like, "Okay, yeah, okay, I'm going to check this out." Some of uh, the some of the we- some of the more obscure stuff just makes more sense to you now. Is that what you'd say? Absolutely, definitely. And uh, at the same time, I'm I've probably become even more hardened and cynical towards <laughs> things that sound exactly the same. So I I'm definitely always alert and seeking out. Oh, this I have never heard something that sounds like that because i have to hear so many things every week that like anything refreshing is just bonkers about it Mm -hmm. and so looking a little wider at radio k and all the stuff that you guys do um how would generally how would you say you guys are viewed by the students on campus are you do you think you have a lot of influence on campus as far as music goes um what do most students think of when they think of radio k um I think most students, uh, they probably see us as a, a weird enigma. There's something about college radio that definitely attracts a, a certain type of person. Uh, and so um, we definitely have a presence on campus. I wouldn't say that we're changing you know, Dave Matthews Band fans into real estate fans with every passing day, but we, we definitely have a presence. We're always blasting tunes at every possible event. We're driving around in our uh, logo-covered K-Van mm-hmm. and... Uh, I'm people are very aware of us and I'm I guess it's up to them how they feel about us but we definitely have uh fans beyond the ones who decide to come and DJ. Mhm. And I mean like you just mentioned getting awareness is probably one of the biggest or hardest challenges for radio today. You know, radio is kind of an older medium, so what do you guys do to continue to stay relevant with students? We've been playing college rock for uh, for 21 years, so we decided that that's a good bragging point, and mm-hmm. we should celebrate our 21st birthday. So I've been planning for months, and just on Tuesday we had an an impromptu on campus, uh, seven local bands playing 21 songs in one hour, and we just set up right in the heart of campus uh, with two stages, sandwiching wow. a bike trail, and have people <laughs> would just bike by, and they'd, they'd break, and they'd pull over and come and listen to us. Uh, and I'd say we're definitely doing stuff like that a lot, uh, trying to uh, turn people's heads. Do you, would you say that uh, college students are your biggest audience, or are you trying to reach out to community members as well? We have a way bigger grasp on the community than with mm-hmm. our student population, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are, I'd say, 
uh, more with the community rather that we're just uh, we're sponsoring shows a lot. We're always being able to promote these venues, these touring acts, and then we go to a show and we hang up like a thousand Radio K banners, and people definitely know that we're present and can brag that like, oh, I heard about these guys on Radio K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of the the first chance to hear the new stuff. Is that absolutely? You're... We have we also have um, in sort of a unique situation for Minneapolis. We have an NPR station called The Current, mm-hmm. who are huge trendsetters in the more the more established NPR alternative radio, AAA radio is what that's called. And The Current is a, is a huge masthead of it. Basically, when most of our uh, DJs graduate, if they're really involved in radio, they kind of just end up switching from Minneapolis to St. Paul and working over at NPR on the current. So they have a they have a big grasp on these bigger acts like they can, you know, get arcade fire in and spoon all sorts of stuff like that. And so we've definitely taken more of a position as an underdog like hey, if Radio K is sponsoring the show, these guys are going to blow up in like a year, you know? So So the bands that jumper. the bands that you you have are going to be on the current next year. Absolutely. Kind of? We kind of uh aggr- or call that reputation. Gotcha. And so not only, I guess, are you sending them music in a year, but you're also sending them people who are going to work there in a year, too. That's For cool. sure. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you, you do want to work in the music industry after college, correct? I believe so. Awesome. So, um, well, I mean, even if you don't, what do you think is the one of the biggest one of the biggest takeaways from your time at Radio K? What are one of the biggest things that you've learned while, the, while you've been there? One of the biggest takeaways that I think is really special for college radio is that uh, lately, I've been comparing it to a teaching hospital, but it's not just any regular student position here at Radio K. We're definitely given a very full jurisdiction and allowed to to have reign and to have serious responsibility. We're not really having anyone hold our hands like this this impromptu on-campus concert. We called it the Tiny Music Festival. Mm-hmm. But this Tiny Music Festival, we just had our, we have two adult bosses that we meet with once a week, and they're like, hey, you want to do this show? All right, you make it happen. You contact the people, you apply for the sound permit, you apply to, we, everything was seen through by students. And basically, if you get a job in radio a little further down the line, and you want to plan an event like that, you're going to be doing the same things. No one's been holding our hand at this point. So it's really taught me like very realistic skills in pro tools in talking to people just from every facet of life that I'm definitely going to be able to carry with me. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as the station, what do you think the future of Radio K looks like? Um, really attractive. We're like a really attractive group of people, which, uh, <laughs> which most people don't know because it's radio, but I can, I can just see years and years of very handsome, just the best-looking group on campus. Huh? Oh, absolutely! <laughs> We've actually—I have. Once someone told me they passed along, like, "Hey, I mentioned that," uh, or my roommate told me that that I worked for Radio K, and the person they were saying it to said, "Oh, is that like that student group with all those attractive hipster guys?" And I'm like, yes, <laughs> they know. <laughs> It, uh, that's the secret. That's the real secret is that exactly. everyone in radio is really good looking and no one knows it. <laughs> We'd like to hope. All right. Well, I do want to thank you for talking with us. Um, but before we go, if you had to have if you had to make one song recommendation or one album recommendation that we've been skipping in mid Michigan or haven't gotten yet, what do you think is the Radio K recommendation for our listeners? Okay, I gotta recommend a local group. We just had this group in 
It's a bit of a local supergroup. Every single person in it is uh, is in another band that's killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this band is called Suzy, S-U-Z-I-E. They all dress up in women's clothes and play really chill, psychedelic pop. And um, they have a song called Coffin in Houston that's somewhere out there on Bandcamp. And everyone should be grooving to that in Michigan. All right, we'll, some love. we'll definitely put a link to it on our website to make sure our listeners can hear some Radio K favorites here at The Impact. So, th- again, thank you so much for talking with us today. For sure. Awesome. So we've been talking with Ross Cable, who's the music director at Radio K in Minneapolis. Thanks so much, buddy. Yo. This is WDBM Impact 89FM, and you're listening to Exposure with me, Stephen Rich. As some of our longtime listeners may have noticed recently, Impact has been seeing some changes over the past few months. In an effort to stay open with our audience about everything here at the station, we thought that College Radio Day would be a great time to sit down and talk about some of these changes. General Manager Ed Glazer joined me in the studio to discuss the direction that Impact was heading and what he believes the future of our station holds. So I think... um Probably the areas in which college radio, and at least this station, I can't speak for college radio as a whole, but what we're really taking on is um, trying to understand and trying to know our audience better. So traditionally, radio has measured audience in a, um, frankly, kind of an antiquated way. They get radio diaries sent out to a, a small sample of a population in an area, and the way they sample is they sample based on people that have lived there at least three years, which means that students never show up in that sample. Um, the cool thing, or I guess the cool opportunity for us is we have the capability to just directly ask our students things. So we're working on surveying and, and, um, getting, um, just basically data directly from the students. And I have a feeling that, um, as we get a little bit more sophisticated, we'll be able to actually tap that data more directly and get to know something about our listeners um, very directly based on what their Spotify usage constitutes and and the music that they're listening to when they're listening, um, and it's it's sort of like moving from a a very low resolution picture to a very high resolution real time image that gives us very actionable data that we can start to implement in how we think about what music we're playing and when. Mm-hmm. Steve uh, Schram, when we had talked to him earlier. Uh, one of the things that he brought up when he was talking about the future of radio um, was a lot, a lot of content-driven stuff, but also kind of being, I would say, ahead of the curve or mm-hmm. knowing what the listeners are going to want next. Do you still see that as a, as a responsibility of college radio or a driving force of college radio to introduce our audience to new or different things to maybe um, give them a chance to try something that they haven't tried before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and first of all, when Steve Schramm talks, you listen. You know, that guy knows <laughs> that guy knows more than I'll ever know about radio and media. But um, yeah, the the opportunity of college radio is that we don't have to worry about shareholders and we don't have to worry about um, you know, selling ads. And because of that, we can play things less safely. We can try music that uh, commercial radio just can't play really. Mm-hmm. We can try shows. We can try concepts. We can try, 
just push push the envelope. Um, and the challenge in that becomes not only push, not only playing stuff that pushes the envelope, not only catering to the edge cases, but catering, you know, by catering only to the stuff that is kind of on the cutting edge and, and ignoring music that, dare I use a word that people at this radio station would probably freak out if they heard popular music, music that's currently popular with people. Um, you know, and I'm not suggesting we play Britney Spears, and I'm not suggesting that we play uh, stuff that you're going to hear on a lot of commercial radio, but to ignore music that we would play anyway that also happens to be popular to me is to exclude our audience. So I think we have the balance is and always has been to not be uh, elitist, um, but to be tastemakers and to, um, I guess I think of it really as if we're educators. Mm -hmm. Having that kind of base to keep people while still every now and then saying, hey, why don't you try this? Or what about this? That Absolutely. Kind of- yeah, right. I, th- I mean, think of it like a dinner party, right? And you bring you bring people some hors d'oeuvres, you know, and it's, uh, I don't actually get invited to dinner parties, so I don't know what people <laughs> bring, but you know, cheese and crackers, let's say. And then you give them a little bit of the crazy stuff, you know, try one of these, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've always loved about the impact that I don't feel that a lot of people are aware of is just how many different opportunities that are here and how many different mm-hmm. um, areas that we hit, you know, everything from video to news to sports to, I mean, even like promotions and just the inner workings, it's a whole system. Mm-hmm. How do you think we're going to continue to improve that and expand in every single direction, not just music? Yeah, great question. I, you know, I think uh, for me, the secret of this operation, um, as long as I've been here, is that uh, for whatever reason, it just attracts people who are really passionate about art, about being creators, being makers. And I suspect that that will continue as long as we uh, continue to kind of encourage that kind of a person to, to do, um, you know, within appropriate boundaries what, what they want to do anyway. Um, so my, my hope is that um, being more than just a radio station – we continue to attract those folks and we continue to encourage them to treat this place as a, a laboratory, kind of like, you know, instead of a lab class, this is the lab where you really get to practice all of the craft that you're really interested in. We're uh, definitely expanding um, in the areas of what we can do with technology, with our engineering department. And um, I think long term, we're really looking at having multiple program streams that uh, offer genres more genre-specific, um, maybe hip-hop and uh, Americana roots. Um, are, we're launching a sports stream that focuses on uh, reporting uh, Michigan State sports and covering all of the varsity and club sports as well as pro sports. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be happening this semester. Um, and so I think going forward, there's just we're just going to expand, keep expanding what we're doing well, which is giving people the, the opportunity to practice the craft so that um, you know, people, uh, people on the hiring side say when they see somebody come from Michigan State University and they see that, you know, that impact credential on their resume, it's a no-brainer hire because they know that they've been the, trained by and with, you know, the, some of the best and, and brightest peers that um, are available in, in creative industries today. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Ed. We've been talking with Ed Glazer, who is the general manager and inspiring dad figure at Impact. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be on.
Thank you for joining us tonight. Special thanks to station manager Gabriela Saldivia and general manager Ed Glazer, as well as all our staff here at Impact 89FM. Tonight's show and all other exposure shows can be found on our website at www.impact89fm.org. Tonight's show is definitely worth checking out if you're interested. We have links to some of the fine work of some of our guests, and you can find more information about College Radio Day as well. I'm your host, Stephen Rich, and we'll be back again next week at 7 p.m. You've been listening to Impact Exposure, 89 FM. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.